Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good, and this is your Threat Intel Briefing for May 14th, 2023 through May 20th, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube will keep pushing out new content to you. And then if you're listening on a podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe on there and leave us a review. Remember, we are available on all the popular podcasting platforms. If you want to see the articles that we talk about, check out the show notes, Check out the description because there is a link to the show notes where you can see all the articles that we talk about so you can read them a little bit more in depth than what we've covered, as well as some other articles that we didn't necessarily get to in this show because otherwise this show would be really, really long, right? Also, make sure to check out cybertrainingpro.com if you need cybersecurity training or career services, things like mock interviews, resume reviews, career uh, coaching, anything like that, make sure to check out that as well. Without any further delay, we're gonna go ahead and jump in to the first article. So first article, Discord suffered a, a data, uh, suffered a data breach after third-party support agent was hacked. Discord, the popular VoIP and instant messaging social platform, disclosed a data breach and is notifying the impacted users. Security breach resulted in unauthorized access to a third-party customer service service agent support ticket queue. Due to the nature of the incident, it is possible that your email address, the contents of customer service messages, and any attachments sent to Discord uh, support. In response to the incident, the company immediately deactivated and compromised the, uh, the compromised account and analyzed the impact of the machine to determine if it was infected with malware. Discord also announced to have worked with its customer service partner to improve its cybersecurity posture and prevent similar incidents from happening in the future. So with this article, I'm not sure if you've heard about this with Discord or if you even know what Discord is. If you don't know what Discord is, it's this really popular chat, basically platform, messaging platform that has things like voice talk that you can do, so voice chat. You can also do video streaming. So if you want to have kind of like a Zoom call almost, right, with a chat room, and that is what Discord is for. Typically, it's very popular in the gaming community. There are some other communities, things like YouTube. For instance, I have a Discord server for the YouTube community. So, um, and then if you wanna see that, it's johngood.com slash Discord, and you can join that, right? But that's basically what it is. If you've been around for a while, you might be familiar with things like IRC, which is Internet Relay Chat. Same idea, right? But that was all text-based. And then you have other things like uh, Ventrilo and some of these other voice talking applications. So it kind of combines all that functionality into one, right? So, but with that being said, right, not just because it's Discord, but in general, right, when you deal with other companies and you integrate systems, how do you do that, right? What kind of other data do you share with that other party, that third party? In this case, they were dealing with a support agent or support system that they were dealing with other agents, whether that was a contracted company, it sounds like a third-party company, not just individuals that they contracted out to, 
but what kind of data do you send them, right? Where is that, that line in the sand as far as what you're sharing with them and the risk that your organization faces? If one of those third parties gets sensitive information, that obviously ups the ante as far as what kind of controls you have to have in place. Now think about this too, right? Then you start having things like supply chain security because you're interacting with these other companies, these other integrations. How far is your system integrated with that other company? Do you have actual systems or applications that talk back and forth between the different companies? All of these things matter and all of these things have to be considered. If you have an application that is cloud hosted and you're dealing with one of these third parties and you're storing sensitive data in those applications, what does that relationship look like? What is that shared responsibility model? If you're familiar with the shared responsibility model of cloud security, what does that model look like? Where, who, who's responsible for what, right? Where does that responsibility lay? And then really having good contracts, honestly, in place, as well as security controls, because you can't just rely on that administrative control. You've got to have those technical controls in place. But what does that look like? What does that relationship look like? So that's one thing that not every company or security team or IT department considers, right? Because sometimes these companies, they're under the impression that just because they deal with a third party or they outsource some of that work, that that responsibility falls on their shoulders. That's not the case. You should never completely assume that all the responsibility falls on another entity because you're giving up your, you're, you're trying to offload your responsibility, right? Sometimes when you get third parties, the outsource work, yeah, I mean, you're offloading some of that responsibility, but not all of it, right? You still have your due care, your due diligence, making sure you're using good vendors, making sure that those connections are secure. So really important, but just because it's Discord, and I know a lot of people on here use Discord, <laughs> it's a pretty important uh, article to cover. So that's why we covered it. Toyota, car location data of 2 million customers exposed for 10 years. Toyota Motor Corporation disclosed a data breach on its cloud environment that exposed the car location information of 2,150,000 customers for 10 years between November 6, 2013 and April 17, 2023. According to a security notice published in the company's Japanese newsroom, the data breach resulted from a database misconfiguration that allowed anyone to access its contents without a password. Information exposed in the misconfigured database includes the in-vehicle GPS navigation terminal ID number, chassis number, and vehicle location information with time data. So anytime you have a data disclosure or a data breach, it's a serious you know, incident, serious situation. Obviously, depending on the sensitivity of that data, it's going to vary because some data is more sensitive than others. So things like healthcare data and protected data, you know, all that kind of data is a little bit more critical to protect because it's not just things like uh, customer confidence in your company or company reputation or things like that that are on the line. It's actual regulatory fines and legal concerns around that. So 
that sensitivity of the data does matter. The vehicles themselves, I mean, it can be argued that some of that data is sensitive, right? Because if you can pinpoint the specific user and determine who that is, let's say it's like the president of a, a country, right? Like the president of the United States. If you can get into their vehicle, now, typically, I believe with the, the president of the United States, for example, once they become president, they don't ever drive again. That, I'm pretty sure I saw that on like a documentary that, that they just lose their driver's license, right? Because they're not gonna drive again. But that is an example, right? If you get, you get access to their car data and you can pinpoint where they're going, you know, a high, a high uh, exposure figure like that, right? It doesn't have to just be the president, but you get access to their data and you can pinpoint where they're going around their town, the country, whatever. You know, that, that could expose some security concerns, some safety concerns for that particular user. I don't think in general, probably outside of that, that there's all that much sensitive data. I mean, that, that would be, in my eyes, the biggest concern because otherwise it's just kind of, well, you know, it's just vehicle data where that vehicle is going. But that would be, I think, the, the biggest concern. Now, if there's other information that's tied in there, right? For example, if your vehicle in this system stores things like numbers that you call and maybe text messages that you've sent because you're doing voice to text and things like that, well, then it just ups the ante as far as how sensitive that data is. So it is interesting. One of the things that we see a lot with car vendors is that they don't always put a lot of security in their things, right? That's why we always see hacking villages at things like Black Hat and Def Con where they bring in like Teslas and stuff and they're hacking into those vehicles. You know, <laughs> there's a reason for that because you don't typically put a lot of security in there. Vendors like Tesla definitely put a little bit more than just your standard Toyota, right? But, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing car vendors just get hammered by security researchers. So I think that's going to continue for sure. Next article, Farmerica leaks 5.8 million deceased users PII health information. Farmerica Healthcare has disclosed that its systems were breached earlier this year by an unauthorized third party, which resulted in the leak of the personal data of more than 5.8 million deceased people. Farmerica provides pharmacy services for patients under long-term care, including those in senior living facilities, hospice care, and using behavior health services. A copy of the letter disclosing the data theft sent by Farmerica and addressed to the administrator executor of the estate of explain the cybersecurity incident occurred from March 12th to 13th and exposed information, including the deceased person's name, address, date of birth, social security number, medications, and health insurance details. It can take a, uh, so this is an important point that I wanna make here with this article, right? Because we're talking about people that are deceased, right? That have passed away for whatever reason. In the world of, for instance, finance and government and things like that, sometimes that information can take time to trickle down to other systems. And that's really, in my eyes, 
the sensitivity of this information. I mean, obviously, if a person is living and their healthcare records get leaked, that's PII, that's HIPAA data, right? Like all that kind of stuff matters. And but it's a living person. So once the person becomes deceased, think about this, right? If you can get information on a deceased person, and this information takes a while for it to trickle down to other systems like financial systems and kind of erase that social security number from the system, well, then somebody can just start racking up bills and take on credit loans and do all this kind of stuff with that social security number. Obviously it's fraudulent, but that's an example, right? And we've seen that kind of stuff happen before. And so it is very, uh, concerning and that can have a trickle down effect because of the type of information that it is and because of the effect that it can have. And again, it just comes down to the type of data that your company is processing, how you handle that, but also right, how you dispose of that data, how you sanitize that data from your organization. So all of that matters and that's just part of the data lifecycle management, right? Data management lifecycle. So keep that in mind as you're processing data, as you're taking in data in your company, as you're releasing data or sanitizing it from your organization, it matters. It matters how you process it, how you store it, and how you get rid of it. Only keep it for as long as you need it. That's, that's really the key point here. And all the compliance regulations and frameworks and standards, that's what they all require. If you don't need the data, don't keep it. That's one thing that gets people in trouble all the time is there's just this, it's like with, with the, the hoarders, right? Where they just like collect all this property, all these items and they just store it, right? They get big barns and they just store all that stuff in there. It's the same with data. People just store more and more data and they just house it forever, right? They just try to keep it as long as possible but it's no longer useful. You have to understand how long data is useful in your organization. Otherwise, you're going to not only rack up those charges for storing more and more data, but you're also gonna have a lot of data that doesn't matter to you. So, really important consideration that you have to have. Next article, ex-Ubiquity employee in prison for $2 million, uh, $2 million crypto extortion scheme. Have you heard about this? A former employee of American technology company Ubiquity has been imprisoned for six years after confessing to pretending to be an anonymous hacker and whistleblower trying to extort nearly $2 million for their cryptocurrency from the company. According to a press release, release uh, published by the U.S. Attorney's Office last week, Nicholas Sharp, who worked as a senior developer, was arrested for illegally accessing confidential data and attempting to extort 50 Bitcoin from the network technology provider by sending an anonymous email. The defendant not only perpetrated the breach, but reportedly orchestrated the publication of misleading news articles about the company's handling of the incident, ultimately leading to a loss of over $4 billion in the company's market capitalization. Nicholas Sharp was paid close to a quarter million dollars a year to help keep his employer safe, said U.S. Attorney Damian, Damian, uh, Damian Williams commenting on the news. Another quote, he abused that trust by stealing a massive amount of sensitive data, 
attempting to implicate innocent employees in his attack, extorting his employer for ransom, obstructing law enforcement, and spreading false news stories that harmed the company and anyone who invested in the company. Sharp now faces serious penalties for his calacious crimes. Think about this. Insider threats are so important to detect in your organization. And that's one area that is really rising in concern because insider threats are extremely difficult to detect, right? Until they start doing really suspicious activities and things that are really outside of the norm, you know, they definitely fly under the radar because they have authorized access in a lot of cases. So within your organization, you might not have a dedicated insider threat team. That's pretty common in a lot of organizations. Obviously, the bigger your organization gets, the more likely it is that you're going to have an insider threat team or people focused on insider threat. But what kinds of things are you looking for? Are you looking for things that are not just things that are going to trigger alarms, but looking for abnormal behavior, things that spike traffic, things where people maybe shouldn't be looking at certain things, even though they have access, maybe they don't have a reason to, system administrators, network security people, cybersecurity people, whatever, right? But all these different people that may have access but shouldn't be looking at certain things. Maybe they shouldn't be looking at certain things and somehow they have access. All of those triggers or those warnings are important to actually, you know, look at. <laughs> but also too, when you have employees that just go rogue and they just start trying to do malicious things, that's a real concern. So how do you combat that? Obviously things like background checks, limiting privileges, least privilege. That's a good term, right? That's a good strategy. Uh, defense in depth. So having multiple layers of controls. There's all kinds of things that you can do, but ultimately you have to really pay attention to your employees and make sure that your employees are good people that you're bringing on. And that also, you know, you're not putting them in a situation where, where they have the ability to take advantage of you as a company. You don't want them to feel like you're just hovering over them, right? Because that's a really bad idea. But you want to, it's like if you have the option to do it, right? Like if you're just dangling that carrot in front of their face as they're doing their work, eventually maybe they're just going to go for the carrot and they're going to just do it, right? They're going to do whatever the bad activity is. So you know, it's, it's, it's always interesting, the insider threat cases that come up, because I think as long as you can learn from that as a company and as an organization, because you're not going to completely eliminate that, there's always going to be people that just go rogue, or maybe from the start, they were just bad, and you just missed it. Hopefully, you don't miss it. But you just have to, you have to constantly try to detect these kind of activities and really focus on that insider threat aspect of things. Look at Zero Trust. Zero Trust is a great example of how you can hopefully minimize insider threat. But again, it comes back to alerting and looking for certain activities and understanding your business and what things people should and shouldn't be doing. That's really what it comes down to. So I wanna take a second and talk about one of our sponsors here. Give us a little break and I'll see you on the other side. Are you tired of overpaying for cybersecurity training? Are you interested in training from industry professionals? 
Are you looking for cybersecurity career services? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then CyberTrainingPro.com is the perfect platform for you. At CyberTrainingPro, we're a one-stop shop for all your cybersecurity needs. We can train you for industry certifications or just improve your overall knowledge and skills in a certain area. Unlike other platforms, we don't stop there. We can also coach you throughout your career, practice your interview skills, or create a high-performing resume with our career services. CyberTrainingPro.com isn't just another training platform. Students get exclusive access to our private community where we go beyond training courses to provide additional content, tips and tricks, and engagement with both other students and staff. Look, by the year 2025, there could be as many as 3.5 million job openings in cybersecurity. With so much opportunity, why not maximize your career potential with a platform that cares about your success? Come join us at CyberTrainingPro.com and start building your future today. All right, I hope you'll sign up at CyberTrainingPro.com. Definitely check out the platform, check out the training, check out the career services, the mock interviews, career coaching, the resume services, all that good stuff is really good to help you in your career. <clears throat> so next article, Microsoft is scanning the inside of password-protected zip files for malware. Microsoft Cloud Services are scanning for malware by peeking inside users' zip files. Even when they're protected by a password, several users reported a Mastodon on Monday. Compressing file contents and archive zip files has been a long tactic threat actors used to conceal malware spreading through email or downloads. Eventually, some threat actors adopted by, uh, adapted by protecting their malicious zip files with a password and user must type when converting the file back to its original form. Microsoft is one-upping this move by attempting to bypass password protection in zip files and when successful, scanning them for malicious code. While analysis of password-protected files in Microsoft Cloud environments is well known to some people, came to a surprise to Andrew Brandt. Security researcher has long archived malware inside password-protected zip files before exchanging them with other researchers through SharePoint. On Monday, he took to Mastodon to report the Microsoft collaboration tool had recently flagged the zip file, which had been password-protected uh, protected with the password infected. While I told, and this is a quote, while I totally understand doing this for anyone other than a malware analyst, this kind of nosy get inside your business way of handling this is going to become a big problem for people like me who need to send their colleagues malware samples, Brandt wrote. The available space to do this just keeps shrinking and it will impact the ability of malware researchers to do their jobs. So from a security standpoint, you know, I think this is definitely of concern, you know, from a user standpoint, I think it's of concern because it's always concerning when big tech is able to bypass things and kind of get into your data. You know, theoretically, what if Microsoft was able to get into those zip files and they just, you know, harvested your data? Nothing malicious, right? They just, you know, checked around, saw what you had in there. No big deal. So there's that concern. But then also from the security, security standpoint, you know, one of the unfortunate things with security is that a lot of times we, we try to use tools, right? Like normal tools to facilitate our capabilities and improve our security, analyze things like malware in this case. And so it's nothing malicious, but we have to use a, one of these tools or these services and then companies really start to crack down on that 
and they start to hamper our ability to use those kinds of tools or services, like in this case, right, with malware. And, you know, it's one of those things where as far as like cybersecurity, it's almost like you're just going to have to create your own tools and services or somebody is going to have to create it specifically for security researchers just to be able to do stuff. But then it's like, well, now you have this service or this product or this application where all of this data is centralized in this one spot. So that becomes another concern, right? So, yeah, I don't... We'll, we'll see kind of what evolves out of this, if anything does. I mean, yeah, it's, there's a lot of concerns, right? <laughs> so, you know. Let's see here. Next article, Montana governor bans TikTok. Montana governor Greg Gianforte signed a bill Wednesday banning TikTok in the state. Gianforte tweeted that he has banned TikTok in Montana to protect Montanians' personal and private data, uh, personal and private data from the Chinese Communist Party, officially making it the first state to ban the social media application. Controversial law marks the furthest step yet by a state government to restrict TikTok over perceived security concerns and comes as some federal lawmakers <coughs> have called for a national ban of TikTok. But it is expected to be challenged in court bill which will take effect in january specifically names tiktok as its target prohibiting the app from operating within state lines the law also outlines potential fines of ten thousand dollars per day for violators including app stores found to host a social media application the law comes as tiktok faces growing criticism for its ties to china tiktok is owned by china-based ByteDance. many u.s officials have expressed fears that the Chinese government could potentially access U.S. data via TikTok for spying purposes, though there is so far no evidence that the Chinese government has ever accessed personal data or information of U.S.-based TikTok users. So we've talked about TikTok and kind of that evolution so far. We continue to talk about it every week, every couple weeks, because things seem to always come up about it. Basically, the idea is TikTok is owned by a parent company that is working or known to work or owned by the Chinese government, right? Like there's some kind of relationship there. Really any kind of service or product that comes out of China, you can basically bet that the government is kind of involved in some way, especially if you're outside of the country. But, you know, with this ban in particular, I don't know if this is going to hold up. I think it's still it's still one of those things where this is kind of an overreach from a state government. We've seen things like privacy regulations getting implemented in states. I think this kind of goes even further than that to ban an actual application and start trying to take on app stores like Google and Apple. Like good luck with that, honestly. I don't know how many people live in Montana, so you know, obviously this is going to be a smaller state, smaller population. But I wonder how people in Montana feel about that. You know, do they want to use TikTok? Are they upset about this? Are they okay with it? You know, I think a state like California <laughs> might have a different uh, outlook on this kind of ban and definitely a lot more pushback. But 
it's still kind of up in the air how TikTok is going to evolve and like what's going to happen with them. We've seen, you know, governments starting to ban the use of TikTok on government devices, which is reasonable, right? If it's on a government device, I think taking it a step further to ban it from like personal devices and personal use, like in this case, I think that's, that's going to be probably ruled as an overreach. But typically that's what happens with government, right? They, they try to take these extremes and overreach and try to propose legislation that is extreme. And then they get pushed back, they get restricted by the courts. And then there's kind of this middle ground almost where they end up settling. But, you know, we'll, we'll see with TikTok. I'm not all that optim optimistic uh, that it is going to completely be el eliminated or banned from the country. You know, my, good try, Montana. I, I just don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to hold up. And good try, you know. So with that, that's going to be our last article for the week. This was your Threat Intel briefing for May 14th, 2023 through May 20th, 2023. I'm your host, John Good. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Let me know how you, if you enjoy the content, if you want to see other kinds of content. If you're listening on a podcasting platform, because we are available on all the popular podcasting platforms, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review on there as well. And also check out the description because there is a link to the show notes where you can check out all these articles as well as some other articles that we didn't necessarily have time to cover. And then also check out cybertrainingpro.com. Again, one of our sponsors. That way you can get cybersecurity training and career services for coaching, mock interviews, resume services, resume review, writing services, all that kind of stuff is on there. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Well, thank you for joining me. and I'll see you next time.